Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance ECOs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is the host of the Dream Mason podcast. He's the author of Fictional Authenticity. He's a performance coach, consultant, and he's just a really awesome dude. He's got a great story. He was kind enough to send me his book, which I haven't had a chance to read yet, but I suggest that you guys check it out at the end of this episode. He's got a lot of value. He's had quite the journey. So my next guest's name is Alex Terranova. We had a great conversation we dove into a lot of different things so hope you guys enjoy it as always leave us a review comment subscribe share with a friend whatever you can do to share the love of this episode of this podcast i really appreciate it guys alex terranova coming right up and we're on alex welcome to the show brother how you doing thanks for having me yeah man thanks for coming on you got a little recording studio there it's not your first rodeo. You've recorded a couple episodes yourself, huh? We just surpassed 100 episodes on the Dream Mason podcast. And that's a big deal, right? Like 100 episodes is, it feels weird to say, because like, how did you get to 100? And now it's like, how do I get to 1,000? Yeah, it's a great accomplishment. And when you start, it seems so far away. It seems like 100 episodes. That's like, it's 100 hours plus of just oh conversation, God, more. right? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, I mean, oh yeah. And then the work that goes into it on, on top of that. Yeah. You know, when I, I, how many have you done? I think we're one, well, I've recorded probably about 150. I got about 25 on the shelf right now. I think we're at 120 something or when this comes out, it'll be later. But right now, currently, yeah, like 120 something. Do you remember when you were at like 20 and you were like, man, how am I ever going to get to 100? (laughs) I remember remember when I was in the first couple, I just had no idea what I was doing. I don't know if you've done this. Go back. I had to go. So I went probably my first 50 were like, I was doing them wherever. I did some in people's houses. I did one with Tara Mackey in front of her fireplace. I did one in somebody's backyard. I did, you know, I would do a lot of them in my house. And then around 50, I got a studio, an actual recording studio with equipment, not my own, but I actually uh, started using my mentor's studio and it changed everything. All of a sudden it just took it to like, it became real serious. Like this is a job now. Yeah. But still, I remember at 50 being like, man, 50 more? (laughs) How am I going to do that? I know. It's, I remember I started out of, I was in, I was in this apartment, this small apartment, and I started in like little closet. It was actually really good at the time. Like it was, the sound was awesome because it was carpets and it was like this little cubby hole, this like homemade cubby hole desk thing that I would sit in. And I listened to the sound back then and it was actually pretty good. And now I'm in this echoey room, so I had to get a different microphone. But I, um, when I listen to those old episodes, man, I just I, I can barely listen to them now. I cringe, man. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm getting better, but like listening to the first ones and how and how like how much of a beginner I was, it's it's hard to listen to, man. Like, <laughs> I, I know. I've listened to. I've gone back and only listened to a few of my early ones, but. I mean, the the sound isn't great. The conversation isn't great. It's it's. I think it's a great lesson, right? Because this is everything in life. Everything in life is like, just do it more and you'll get better. That's it. Just, yeah. it doesn't even matter. You don't even need feedback sometimes. Just keep doing it and you'll get better. Man, that's exactly it. It's, it's like anything. You just do it over and over and you just get better. And you're, man, the communication skills and just the confidence that it's, it, it builds in you as well that you don't even realize. And, and 
the light, just being able to kind of meet somebody that you don't really know and all of a sudden just talk about stuff and have that connection. That is such a lesson that you could take in the, in, in yeah, anywhere absolutely. in the world, right? I mean, being able to just be like, Hey man, what's up? Or just being able to get people to open up to their stories. You know, with this, with this show, University of Adversity, it's tough sometimes because you really want to crack open that person so that they'll open up and some are harder than others, but it's definitely a skill that's it's helped me at communicating just all around. So yeah, I'm excited. Crack me open. Let's let, <laughs> yeah, brother. tell us about yourself, man. So you're, you got your dream Mason podcast, dream Mason performance and consulting and coaching, all that stuff. But before let's, let's hear about your backstory a little bit. Cause I want to, I like yeah. to get into like how you got into all this stuff. So I think, I mean, one of the cool things I, I just wrote a book, right? So like one, if I look back really far, one of the huge, like kind of anchor of my backstory is when I was like five years old, I, uh, I was having trouble learn how, learning how to read, right? Now, like as a five-year-old, that's a big deal, right? Because now you're different, right? You don't, you're not like all the other kids. And my mom took me to a doctor and it wasn't like, I didn't have like, it wasn't like my eyes were like this, but they didn't, they couldn't focus together. The muscles wouldn't pull it together apart. And I remember this like so vividly. I don't remember a lot of stuff from my childhood, but I remember this really very vividly. So we do these exercises with these prisms and these like, like letters that my mom would put on the wall and every day you hold up a prism and make the, the letter come, become one or two, right? Like crossing your eyes. And we did this for like six weeks. And then my mom took, we went back to the doctor and I remember clear as day, the doctor being like, I've never seen this before. No one's ever improved a hundred percent and he's improved a hundred percent. He's good now. You, and I remember like hearing you fixed him. And as a five-year-old that like lodged in there, like, Oh, I was broken and my mom fixed me. And I don't think, I didn't think about it until like in my thirties, like the part that the role that played. And then when I was in elementary school, I got diagnosed with some learning disabilities. And I always say it like really clearly now, like I got diagnosed with not like I have, Cause I don't actually believe like I have them. That's not who I am. You know, I, I got, yeah. people said some stuff about me and I remember being a kid and like, again, reading and writing was really hard. And it was like more evidence that I was stupid. Like there was something wrong with me at my, at my like mental level. And I was really intuitive as a kid. And I think I got that like, well, hey, if I can't be good at like this game, like a lot of my friends are, then I got to figure out another game I can be good at. And so I started crafting from like six, seven, eight years old. Like I'm going to be the coolest fucking kid. I don't know if I can cuss on your show. Yeah, swear, Um, please. But yeah, I I mean, I remember thinking I am going to be the coolest fucking kid and that's going to be my thing. And I, I don't know how old you are, but I mean, I'm guessing we're, Probably the same age. I remember looking at in media at things like Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell and Michael Jordan and Rocky and like uh, I'm Italian and, and I would see like the Godfather kind of movies and all those cool like Robert De Niro movies. And those yeah. were like strong, cool, tough guys. Yeah. And I kind of as a little kid was like, I'm going to be like a version of all of that. And I started weaving together this super made up story, right? Of like who I needed to be to be accepted and loved in the world, right? This is all hindsight. I didn't have it all figured out back then. And that's like, to me, how my life started. To the fact that I would write a book is kind of incredible knowing like where I started. If you had seen a paper that I wrote in like high school and college, it looks like teachers slit their wrists and just like bled red ink all over them. Yeah. It's man, writing a book is, is one of those, the hardest things to do. I, something that I want to do too, but it, it just seems like it's, you see my writing style. I'm the same. Looks like a, a five-year-old wrote something, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I can get the ideas, but 
but it's like structuring it together so that there's format and, and all of that, man. Yeah. You know, I had to learn, I don't know about you, but like as a, as a man in the world and the world we live in, getting help and asking for support occurred as like a weakness. Like there's something, it fed into that. There's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. I can't do it myself. And a real big breakthrough happened when I started getting really supported around the book, like editing support, reader support, and stopped hearing the comments or the feedback as more evidence of why I'm not good enough and started hearing them as like people wanting to help you, right? Like the guy who spots you at the gym isn't yeah. evidence that you're not strong enough. He's actually there so you can get stronger. Yeah, that's a good point. That's when the book, like the whole relationship to the book changed is all of a sudden it was like everybody else's superpower was feeding my superpower, which was like the creativity and the, the writing style, but the, the syntax, the grammar, like that's not my game. And I think I realized like I don't need it to be. Yeah. So when you were growing up and you wanted to be all these things, which one did you gravitate towards more though? Like, I mean, cause Zach Morris... <laughs> The cool kid, because we're I'm 36. You're probably around the same age. Yeah, I am. Th yeah, I'm 37. Okay, so we're exactly the same sort of era. Which one did you really? Which one did you start to go towards? Did you go more towards the sports, like the Rocky, or did you just like what? Talk so it was about? a it was a little of everything. I mean, I I was an athlete when I was like I was a great athlete when I was little, and then but I was like the first kid to like girls, like hold the girl's hand, you know, like like have a girlfriend like I was that was like elementary school when I was seven I told my parents and I wouldn't believe this if I just said it but like my parents tell me I said this that I wanted tattoos I want to be in the mafia I didn't believe in God <laughs> I wanted my ear pierced and I wanted a motorcycle now some of those things actually happen and I still love some of those things but the where I chose from back then was from fear right I was choosing from like being accepted, being cool, looking tough. And now like, I don't want to be in the mafia. I don't want to kill people. Like that's not, that's not who, yeah. what I'm about. I don't, I don't even want, I mean, I do, I kind of want a motorcycle, but at the same time, like the risk involved, is it like, do I need that? I've gone skydiving, but there's actually not a lot of risk there. It's pretty no. safe. But a motorcycle is, is it worth the consequence of possibly, I don't know, right? Everybody has to make that choice for themselves. But I think I gravitated little bits to all of them. There was one area in my life where I was like, okay, I'm going to know that I'm accepted and loved by women. That's how I'm going to get my, almost like my self-esteem was going to come from there. And then I was going to be with men. I was going to be like an athlete and I was going to be tough. So I didn't have to be afraid. And that's like, God, you know what? Ultimately, all it produced was like hollowness and shallowness. Yeah. Where in my 20s, I used to run and open restaurants and bars and I would be, Same. okay, I like, and I would, I wanted to like drink myself to sleep every night or smoke, like, like smoke weed or drink myself to sleep. And that was if I couldn't get laid. If I got laid, I didn't need those things. But if I didn't, I needed those things. And then regardless of which I did, if I succeeded, not succeeded, when I woke up in the morning, usually it was like, oh, we got to do this again. I was just like empty again. It was just like rinse, wash, repeat. Yeah. You know? I know that feeling, especially when you're in those bars, because bars and restaurants are a... Um, can be a lot of fun, but very dangerous. I did it as well my entire 20s into my 30s. And you feel like you're constantly digging yourself out of a hole, right? Because, you know, you go and you, you, you start to party, start to drink, you feel like shit, then you got to dig yourself out to get, you're never building on your foundation, it feels like. This is for me anyway. It's always like you're like, you get to this point, and you're like, oh, let's just, I feel good. Let's just fucking get on it again. And then it's like you're constantly trying to like level up, but you're just, it's a struggle, you know? 
I don't, you know, I don't, I don't even think I was like trying to level up. Like, I, I mean, I was in, in the in industry. Like I, op- I was the guy that opened the places, Okay. but I was, man, I think I thought I was doing what I wanted. I thought like mm. I would actually be happy if I had like the prettiest girl, the nicest car, a good amount of money. And like, I, I think I consciously was like, this is going to work. Yeah. Like this is a strategy that's going to work for my life. And I, that was, I mean, a turning point happened at, at 32 when I got asked what I was grateful for. And I had no idea how to answer. And I, I actually snapped. I broke into tears. I was in front of my whole family. I started crying. I, I just lost it. And everybody was like slack jawed. Like what just happened? Who is this guy? And at that moment I realized like, wow, I created some version of a life that I was supposed to be living and it wasn't working. And if I kept living this life, that would be insane. Yeah. You're constantly chasing the next thing, like the circumstances, right? Like then as soon as you, we, we think, I mean, I think most people think like this, that, and this is a real problem is that we're like, when we get that car, we get that girl, we get that house, that's going to bring us this joy, but you're always going to be seeking something else. You're always, you're never, if you're not yeah. grateful for what you have, you're going to be constantly trying to fill a void. Yeah. And like, even now, I mean, I I've done, I've spent the last five years transforming my life, like doing the work, going, having, having a coach myself for the last five years, I will never not have a coach, but having, having a coach myself, going to workshops, going to seminars, like just doing things that develop myself and also surrounding myself with people who can say, like, who can say, like, what was that? Like, who are you just being right there in that situation and call me out on my bullshit? It's still like, I recognize recently, like, I don't celebrate my victories. You know, I, the, with the weekend the book came out, there was a huge weekend of celebration of a lot of my mentors around a lot of my colleagues. We were, we did a huge talk. We gave everybody a book. And the Monday, that Monday morning, I woke up and I was like, oh, same, live in the same place, look exactly the same. My body's exactly the same. I have the same money in the bank account. Like nothing's, I did one of my biggest goals or achievements ever. And life's exactly the same as it was before. Mm. And I had to, that was a, that, that moment that from that Monday to Tuesday, I had a huge breakthrough. We're like, no, no, this is the, this is the thing to celebrate. Like yeah. there, nothing has to be different. Just celebrate like who you are and what you did. And that this is actually the beginning of a new journey as an author. Your life is actually different. It's like you, you went right when you could have just kept going left. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that embracing the journey is important. I've talked about this a couple of times too. We forget, we forget that what's going on now is actually the thing. Like that's the thing that's helping you move forward is the thing that you're going to look back and go, Oh, that was because if you're so worried about that end result, you're missing out on what the thing that is actually actually helping you grow is. Yeah. And, and the results like what, two seconds, like, even if we go to like really like shallow things, like getting, it's like you get laid. Okay. How long did it last? Right. Like, but the, but the, the conversations that, that got you there, the writing the book, like, okay, it got published. Now what, like, what what about the process of writing it or making the movie or whatever it is? Yeah. We all, we're all seeking that result when it's, I mean, yeah, it's, kind of cheesy to say, but it is the journey. It is, man. It is the journey and you got to embrace it. So what is fictional authenticity? Just for all you guys listening, Alex wrote a book, Fictional Authenticity. This won't be on video, but I'll just, in case we, when we do release it, that's it there. Tell us what that means. That's a great title, Fictional Thanks, Authenticity. The, I don't know where it came from. It like, it hit me out of nowhere. And that's the whole book was based on the title, but basically it, it evolved into the idea that, I thought I was living a really authentic life. 
you know, up, up until that moment at 32, I was like, this is my life. This is who I am. I am these versions of these caricatures that I created. And that's real. Yeah. And then when I had that moment where like, say, I woke up, I went, wow, that was all inauthentic. Like it was all fictional. I actually wrote that story as a little kid, right? I should like those early moments, I, something happened and I wrote a story in my head about what that meant and then how I was going to change it. And then I did that, like, and everything built on each other, like new chapters, layer and layer. And then all of a sudden you're like 30 years old and you go, well, I don't even know who I am because yeah. your whole life's been something. And I, I, I honestly believe all of us do this to a certain degree because we're actually not capable of not doing it because all of our little kid brains have to make up reasons and stories for everything because we don't understand the world. Yeah. You know, we don't understand that when dad leaves or when mom and dad fight or friend in third grade doesn't want to be our friend anymore that it hasn't it when we make up a story to make it make sense yeah and why do we choose the the things that we choose why you know we put ourselves in the boxes or the little personas why do we choose that thing why do we do the actions to align with that thing like what was that reason how did that how do that's what fascinates me too is like wh- how <laughs> how we decide to pick certain things for ourselves and where we believe them you know yeah it's crazy i, I you know, who knows? Like, I, I think we pick, this is just my theory. Like, I think we either pick the, the way we think it's supposed to be, like it should be this way, or we go the opposite. And I think most of it is to get love. Like, oh, that's what like, everybody wants at their that's, core is like love and acceptance. Yeah. Now, some of us think we're going to get it by doing really shitty things, but I think it starts there and it gets diluted right? If people think they're unlovable, then it almost becomes, how do I create an identity or a story to prove that I'm unlovable? Yeah, that's a good point. That's fictional also, right? Yeah. 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 Because that's all we are is love. And some people will do whatever they can to prove that they aren't lovable, even if they are, right? Oh, yeah. It's crazy. And at the end of the day, man, like if you don't love yourself, how can you expect anybody in, to love you, right? And, and that's what it all comes down to. It's, it's we, we feel like we have to suffer or something to prove something to somebody. But we need to understand that loving ourselves, I know it's cheesy, whatever you want, to, but it's the truth. We have to be kind to ourselves because that's what we're installing into our own beliefs and what we're putting out there, right? And if you hate yeah. yourself consistently, I mean, what can you expect for you to attract into your life? You're going you're gonna to bring more of that into your life because you're going to do things that align with that hate for yourself. Right? Somebody asked me recently, they're like, how do you know that we're all love? Like, it was like a very, like, like very passive aggressive, like, you don't know what you're talking about. And look, I don't, right? How do I know? I mean, we're all, all this is, everything's made up. Nobody got like a, was born with a rule book of how life is supposed to be. But the thing I said to them was, well, when we're babies, that's what we are. We're, all we do is we cry to get a need met. But as soon as we get a need met, we stop crying. And we go back to like love and joy. Yeah. So, and, and we stay that way as kids until a certain point. And again, even as kids, we throw temper tantrums and cry to get a need met. And then we go right back. If you watch a little kid, right? They, they get, they're so upset and then they're happy like the next second. Yeah. Love and joy, that's their default. But then there's moments in our life early on that stuff starts happening that like all of a sudden starts splintering us off into different directions. Yeah. And then love and joy become less and less of the default. And it's like we start moving further and further away from it. And then by the time you're you know, a teenager, you're probably very far from it. Yeah. And so it's like, to me, it's 
well, that's how we started. So that's who, what we are. We became something else. Yeah. Through, yeah. Through our upbringing, through all these things that are thrown at us, it kind of shapes who we are, but that's an interesting question. How do you know that we're love? I mean, what, op, what we are, I, I don't know what, what feels better. Do you want to, what feels better, hate or love? You know, like, what do you, like you have two choices, right? It's like, I don't know. That's a great question though. And it's really, it's making me think now. Cause I'm like, wow, that's, how do we know that? Well, I guess we don't, <laughs> but yeah. we, we do at the same time internally, like intuitively we know, you know, like love is that, that feeling. I mean, when you look at a beautiful, you look at a beautiful landscape or you see a, an animal or you see a baby that, I mean, what feeling do you get? Right. And even if you look like, look at people who disagree with you, people, you know, Yes. who fundamentally disagree with you on something political. And you think that for them to think the way they think is like, how could they think this? Like they don't care about people. But if we sit with them and we don't, and let's just say we actually like were agreed with them at the core of what most of what they think of why they think it is because they think it's actually better for people. It's like, you think blue is better for people. I think yellow is better for people. And you're like, how could yellow be better for people? That's crazy. Yeah. But I really do think that. Yeah. And, and, and even people that a lot of people that I think we would say are bad or a lot of ideas that didn't go the right way, a lot of them started with an idea that somebody thought they were going to be doing something good or that help would have helped people. Mm. It's, that's interesting, man. It's everybody has, everyone sees life through their own lens of their own past experiences. Mm -hmm. They value and their values. So whatever they see, they value and it's, it's mind boggling sometimes how people have these different perspectives and you got to think like, why do you think, why do you think like that? That's more fascinating to me is, is that to understand that they actually see life that way. And that's what they actually believe. Like what made them believe that? What makes me believe that? What makes that right? And what makes mine right? You know? God, I wish I remembered what the, it's a, it's like a theory or a philosophy. It's psychological and it's basically that whatever you believe, whatever you then take in has to fit inside your belief system. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make it fit and you can see it. I mean, it's so here in Canada, but I'm sure you like see how polarizing the United States is right now. I'm sure you guys like oh, see versions of, of that, we, right? We see all the news, all the yeah. stuff. So it's, and like we're, it's like we're living there, man, all the news that we get. So yeah. it's like you guys are like the aunt and uncle, right? Like you're yeah. not in the household, but you hear yeah. about it all. And I think, I think, yeah, like the cool aunt or uncle, I would say. <laughs> so I, and I think the thing is, it's a really good example. And it doesn't matter, you know, people listening to this, like what you believe. I'm not saying one side of, I'm not picking sides. I think both sides are pretty messed up because we're not actually loving each other. Yeah. Like it's all, we're, we're just playing. But what I think is really interesting is that even if I show, if, if you're on one side and I show you something that could prove to you something, you actually can't see it. It's almost like you have blinders on. And I can say that about every, both sides. It's not like one side is like then the other. And, and it's because of that idea that if it doesn't fit inside of our model, we can't see it. Mm. And we, we go around collecting evidence to prove the lens that we see the world through true and things that don't fit that way we discard. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people's beliefs come from an elevated emotion that 
attach them to that belief. And, you know, because a lot of times you have to have some sort of feeling with whatever's happened for you to hold on to that belief. And that's what I, my theory is. So it's, unless somebody has that same thing, it's impossible to convince them. It's almost like if somebody's trying to sell something to somebody, it's like, if you don't elevate their emotion or give them some reason to, to see themselves in that, that, that position or whatever, then they're not going to even buy into it. Right. I feel like it's kind of the same thing. I don't know. I'm just, that's just coming to yeah. me. I'm, I'm thinking like for anybody to get a belief, I love going down these kind of conversations, bro. This, this kind of stuff is awesome. It's, it's like, you have to have that emotional attachment to the thing almost for you to believe it. But that could be just my theory. I don't know. Well, I think it's, it's probably part of the same, like it's, it's probably connected, right? Like the, yeah. the way you, there's an emotional connection we have to everything. Yeah. I mean, in our nervous system, I was actually just talking to somebody about this earlier today that one, our nervous system is intrinsically like connected. When you hear something, your nervous system has a response. Yeah. You could say to me, dude, why'd you get your hair cut like that? And I hear it as a right of judgment or something. And my nervous system kicks in fight or flight. I got to defend myself. I have to make like, I, I'm not even choosing that. It's just an instant response. <laughs> yeah. Thinking that... And then we try and think that we know what they're thinking. And it's usually yeah. never even that the way. Yeah. I mean, I do that in like relationships all the time, right? Like, well, I don't want to talk to my partner about this because they're going to, well, how do you know they're going to? Yeah. And, and probably if you know they're going to do whatever you think they're going to do, you're probably going to go help them create that way. If you think your partner is going to get upset with you, you're probably going to bring the conversation in a way that would upset them. Yeah. You, you know, I think we make, we will make our thoughts become our realities. It's true. It's true, man. People, it, I've, I've noticed it, man. The more you put energy into negative thoughts, more negative shit's going to show up, right? It's, it makes total sense. And, and people that think that's woo-woo, I mean, just look at your life. Do you, are you, if you focus on, <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, look at the direction you're going in. You, how you speak to yourself, the energy that you put in, are you t- constantly, the negative people are always talking about negative shit seems to be there. They're always the ones that are coming into these, these problems, not always, but how you speak to yourself and the the focus that you have with your energy is so, so important. And I'm learning more and more about it too. And I see, and I hear more people talk about it also. Yeah. I used to think that people that were super happy were totally full of shit. I thought they were fake. If I met you, if, if, if we met at a party and somebody introduced me to you and you were just like happy and positive and, you know, like nice to me and like whatever, I would have been like, this guy's fucking fake because (laughs) I wanted so much to be happy. I wanted to be positive. I didn't want to be, you know, I used to say I was a, I used to say I'm a realist. Well, there's no such thing as a realist. Realists are negative because you never hear a realist say, realistically, this is going to go exceptionally, exceptionally well. It's always like, realistically, this is going to be something bad or negative. Yeah. Why does realistic have to be the negative side? Why can't realistic be on the positive side? Who, who created that? I'm, I'm, I think it's about expectations. Like, yeah. I think it's about that there's also a belief... I've been doing a lot of sharing about this lately to expectation versus intention. If we lower the expectations, then we have a better, then we can like, we'll be happy about the situation, right? If you and I are like, man, this pizza place we're about to eat at is going to be terrible, then we're going to be like, so probably happy. Yeah. Think about when everyone tells you a movie is going to be so great. Often you're like disappointed because you have now this expectation. I know a whole school of thought of people who are like always have low expectations because then your life will be better. Yeah. Kind of lame to me. Like, yeah. 
And I think it ties into that because intention to me is about saying how something's going to be and then being an active participant in the process. So this retreat we're going to is going to be adventurous, fun, and playful, and we're going to have a great time. Now it puts some of the responsibility on me to go create it that way. It's not just on like, I show up and you better give me all those things. Expectation has me, this retreat better be exceptional and fun, has me show up and it's like, do it to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also your perspective on it as well. Sometimes it could be the best thing ever, but if you got a negative asshole there, they'll, they'll find the, the bad part. Of, they'll, they'll make yeah. every single situation an unpleasurable one. It's, mm-hmm. it's mind boggling. So it can be your perspective. I mean, you have the high expectations, but then you go into it thinking, well, you know, I mean, whatever it is, what it is. And you just, you just accept it and, you know, look at the bright side of it. I mean, I, it's like the new year's Eve. You look forward to new year's Eve. If that was like a prime example. And if you go into it thinking, oh, it's going to be the best. And then you're disappointed. It's like, it always was like that for me in the past, but now a big night I go, yeah, I'm going to go into it excited. But I mean, it's what you make of it. Yeah. You got to I mean, create it. You, you, you got to create it. And I've noticed that in podcasts too, even this is a bit of a going off on a bit of a thing, but you know, a lot of people rely, they say, oh, I got to get these great guests. And that is important. Having great guests is important. But it's also about you as a host, you as being able to have a conversation and pull out the good stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I, I really think that's important because it's, it's, it's all about having that ability to be able to connect in the situation, whether that be with a person or a situation and kind of be able to pull out the gold from it, you know, as cheesy as that may 100%. sound. 100%. Right? I think my, my worst podcast episodes, it was because I was a bad host. Yeah. It wasn't on them. Yeah. Like they just showed up. They don't, that, it's not their podcast, it's right? Mine. But it's, it's like, you, you got to really, you got to really realize, like, how can I make the best of this situation? Yeah. Even if it's, it's not ideal, it's your perspective. It's, it's how you show up. You have to be responsible for your own actions, right? Yeah. Well, and what we perceive as bad or negative or not good or whatever word you know, word you want to use is it just, again, the lens you look at it, right? Like if, if you looked at, if, if you woke up at 4am and you're like, man, it's 4am. Like, I don't want to be awake. That's a perspective. You also could be like, wow, I get to see the sunrise this morning and you could get out, get out of your house. You could go somewhere up to a cliff, a mountain, the desert, the ocean and see the sunrise. And it's the same situation. It's just what you chose to do with the situation or chose or might even say like who you chose to be about the situation. Have you heard of a guy named Charlie Rocket? I've heard the name. Okay. He he says, I don't want to steal this from him. So I want to give him credit because I thought it was brilliant. He talks about how like he's always on a winning streak and he goes, even in the darkest times, I'm on a winning streak. And it's like, well, how do you figure? And he's like, Santa doesn't come during the day. He's like, in the darkest moments is when you're, is when the gifts often show up. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's like, first of all, it's funny to think like Santa does come like in the, when everyone's asleep in the darkness. It's a great analogy. And, and it is like, I think that there's an opportunity in whatever you're going through, the darkest, hardest times that sucks in the moment. But if you can get through that, what's on the other side is gold and magic and, and, and the things that are going to change your life. Yeah, that's such, it's such a true lesson. We don't want to go through that shit, but we know we, we have to. And, it's, and, and it's, how you, it's, it's how you face those dark times too, because they're usually not as dark they can always be worse, you know? 
And that, again, that's our perspective on what's a dark time. Yeah. What's, but for yeah. some, I mean, you look at like David Goggins, the guy's been through like the guy's, I don't know who that is. What is he? What is he? Who's oh, David okay. Goggins? Well, look, David Goggins, look him up after the show. That's all I can okay. say. <laughs> all right. Like what he's gone through. He's an ultra marathon runner. He's just like, he, this guy will blow your mind. But okay. like, that's the perspective of like, what is a dark moment versus to some people. Some people think, the littlest thing is like the shittiest the world's gonna end and it's like wow you that really bothers you like how do you get rattled by that and i used to be like that too it's taken a lot of work to to get to get past that right it's 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 one of those things again it's perspective on you know what you see as a dark moment versus a growth tool you know i would just complain like i used to just be the person who complained about why stuff was the way it was and it shouldn't be like that and yeah. now it's like, okay, something isn't the way I want it to be. All right. How do I, it's kind of like, for me, it's a three-step process. Yeah. This isn't the way I want it to be. So what's the, what am I committed to first? Like for me in my life, what am I committed to? And then I go, what actions do I need to take to get me back into that commitment? Mm. And then I might need to set up the third step as like support structures or accountability to make sure I take those actions. Right. And so it becomes about it instead of getting to be a victim, I actually become responsible for my own life and getting me out of that place. Or I could just stay there and complain about it. But I mean, that's no fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like that old saying, worrying or complaining is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you can't go anywhere or something. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. take you anywhere. So, okay. Cause we grew up in the same time, bro. In back in the day, being vulnerable wasn't something that we did, right? It was always, that was considered weakness. It yeah. was always like, and you know, especially for me in sports with my dad and the way he was raised, it's like, don't tell anybody anything, keep it all that's weakness. How has that been for you? Because what you were saying earlier to now at being or allowing you to grow, how is being vulnerable and being able to be okay with things and sharing? And obviously you having a podcast and a book and everything, being a coach, you have to share your story. You know, how has that helped you and how important is vulnerability? You know, if you asked me this, like four or five years ago, I would have told you vulnerable. I mean, this is literally what my answer was when I got asked about it, but like vulnerability is where the, the enemies get in. Like it's the weak point of the castle where the, where the bad guys come in. And that was how I looked at it. So there was no, nothing else available. Now, one of the things I love about myself as a coach, and there's some coaches that do this and some that don't, when I'm with a client, I share my personal challenges, my personal stories. I share things from my own life because I think that it's, it makes, it humanizes the conversation. There's some coaches out there that are like, we'll never talk about any, like their clients know nothing about their life. And that's okay. I mean, I don't, I'm sure it's fine for, I know that with my clients, they love, cause they're like, man, he's like a real human yeah. with real, they don't feel like they're all messed up or like, or, and my clients are very successful, but a lot of their stuff is just in their head. What's, what's in their way to get where they want to go. But they think that what's in their head is unique to them. And when I get to share my stuff, they get to see like, oh, there's other, this is a thing that we as human beings do. So I think that's one, I would have never shared that story about my eyes, about the learning disabilities. I didn't, I went through all of school through college and I wouldn't let my parents, now in college it was my choice obviously, but in up till college, I wouldn't let my parents tell the school or the teachers that I had learning disabilities. Because for me, it was like, that would 
disrupt my whole cool guy like image, right? If I got had, if that got exposed. So it was always a secret. And I don't know why my parents listened to me, but they did. And now I talk about it. First of all, I don't, it's not me, right? It's like, it's like if you had a, I don't know, if you got, if you like, if you were, if you lost, like lost all your hair because you got sick or something, it's not, you're not a person with no hair. It's just a thing. Like it doesn't, it's not who you are as a, as a, as a person. And people say things like, I am sad. No, you're not sad. You feel sad. Yeah. You wouldn't, if I said I am pie, you'd be like, no, you're not. What are you talking about? We eat pie. Like, but we, we take these things on as if they are who we are. And I think that now I don't, it's not that I own it as who I am, but I share it because it's, it is a part of my story. And I think that's important. There's other people that are out there that have, everybody learns differently. Everybody's got different learning stuff. And I think if people are keeping it hidden, like I did, Maybe it works for them, maybe it doesn't. But if it's not working for them, it sucks to like not be able to know that like, oh wow, Alex wrote a book and he struggled with reading and writing. I mean, I've read over a hundred books in the last four years. I didn't, I probably never read more than like one book a year in my whole life up to that point, barely, because reading was so hard. But I like retrained myself to like learn how to read. And like, I read with a pen or a pencil now and I'm like writing all over the books because all of a sudden I realized that's what keeps me engaged. Interesting. So I think like like sharing what's really going on for us is what connects us as people, right? Because you're like, oh man, I'm like him Mm. or I'm like her. Of course. Yeah, because it's, it's, you you want to know that the person that you're putting trust in has been there been through that right it's like if you're if you're you you're playing sports and you're playing for a coach that's never that's never played in, in never played the game or doesn't know like why would you listen to them right it's like i personally i'm i i need to know that somebody has walked the walk a little bit <laughs> with anything if I'm going to put my faith in them. Right. And, and that's the way I am too. I'm like, I, I definitely, I feel like sharing that story or or sharing whatever it is you've been through definitely helps people because there's a lot of noise out there and you need to have that human connection. Like I'm just like you, you know, we're, we're all on this journey together. Right. And the more open you can be, the more transparent, I feel like the more it opens up for that, that person to be transparent as well so that they can start to work on their selves. Yeah. And we don't, God, we don't think about like all the ways that we, th- that we could be vulnerable that would make a difference for somebody that yeah. we, we don't even realize all the ways we're not being vulnerable or not. And I would say if you're not being vulnerable, you're not being authentic because you're pretending. Yeah. If you're ever not speaking up, not saying your thoughts, not doing something you want to do, you're not being authentic. You're pretending. And you know, here's a, a way I remember as, as two kids born in the eighties, I remember seeing like guys like Hulk Hogan, right. And these like examples of what men were, the eighties was like a time it's like terminators and RoboCops and WWF at like, it's at like, yeah. you know, it's origin peaks. And I remember being like, that's what men are. Yeah. And then I remember being like a kid somewhere around elementary school and being like, why don't I look like that? Right now it's a, as an adult, we're like, that's insane. You're like eight years old. How could you look like, how could you have muscles like that? Right. But I remember as a little boy being like, oh, we're supposed to look like that. And because we don't like, you don't have the logic to like look around and be like, none of the little kids do. Right. Like, but it's like, I don't. And I remember I was like so, I had such like body shame, like body dysmorphia. And as a boy, like guys don't talk about this. No. Like men do not talk about this. And I actually had a, a friend of mine, she's a, she does fitness coaching for women. 
And she asked me the thing that's the most vulnerable that I could share. It's like, I was like, it's that. It's that as a guy, as a guy who's in good shape, who nobody would look at and go, oh man, he needs to like work out or go to the gym. The thing ever since I was a kid is like, I think I look way different than I do because of the stories that got put in my head. So there are times that like, I didn't want to go to the beach. I didn't want to go out because in my head, there was something wrong. Mm. And we don't, we just don't talk about these things. And like, now I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not scary for me to share it now. Cause now I'm like, it's important for me to share it. Yeah. It's still like the things that they're still in my head. Even, even though I know they're not true anymore, it's kind of like there's an old operating system running in here. And even though I keep downloading and installing the new updates, that old, the, the old things are still in there. Man, our generation, we've seen a lot of different things happen. A lot of craziness. So it's confusing for us, man. Like we've had such a shift. So we have that old programming, right? Like we, and you know, if you ever shared anything that was, anything vulnerable, you're called a pussy or you're a sissy or whatever. It's like, you know, and we still do that. We like, you know, Uh, the guys at hockey will still, will still do that. But I think like big outside of that, you know, aside from the jokes and stuff, it's important. And, and I feel like humans in society now are starting to, it's, that's becoming more of a conversation and us talking about it is big because yeah, both of us five, 10 years ago would have been like, fuck off. I'm not talking about this. Yeah. And, and look, I think we can still joke about it too. Yeah, of course. Like I'm still, my girlfriend will look at me and she'll be like, I thought you were like the compassionate one. She's yeah. like much more like buttoned up and like, like just conservative than I am. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but if we can't make fun of ourselves at the same time. Yeah. And I think that you get to actually start making the most fun of yourself, the more vulnerable you are, because then you don't make the meanings out of it. I have a friend who just was like roasting me on Facebook the other day, like, and had so many people commenting and I was the butt of the joke. It was so much fun. And if it five years ago, it might've been fun. I might've been pretending it was fun to keep the like look going. But it was like, now I could see it that he he's doing it because he loves me and he's having fun with it. Yeah. And it's, and so were the people participating. Yeah. And it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you be, you become okay with it. You become, you realize that you're human and it's like, you'd only get upset if you really felt attached to that thing. Like that was you. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I was to say, I used to take things so personally, man, like little jokes, I'd think about them for hours and it's like, now I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, say what you want, you know, like, and it, it, it's super important, man, to be able to be like that. You know what, dude, I want to just circle back real quick. I want to talk about this learning disability a little bit. Okay. Sure. And read yeah. it. Cause this, yeah. this interests me because I've, you know, over the years, and maybe you guys listening out there will get it. Like, I've always wondered myself with certain things, with reading and, and, and learning, if I've had something and I've kind of dealt with it all over, through the years, but I've always wondered, like, why don't I pick things up like, like that person? Or why does it take me so long to go? Why do I have to reread a book? You know, and this is stuff that I've always lived with. And I've heard a few different people talk about these things. And I go, wait a minute, like, I, I, I want to unpack this because maybe what I have is more common and maybe what I have is something like that. And, yeah. and I feel like a lot of people probably struggle their whole lives, don't even realize it. No idea. Yeah. So well, look, can you unpack that for us, man. So I'm not an, I'm not an expert in the, like, in learning disabilities or it's funny. I joke now, like we call them learning differences. Yeah. Like we're nicer now than we used to be. But what I learned from a friend who actually works with children and adults that have learning differences is that, you know, we created a box 
as a society. And essentially we created a box and we said, this is how you should learn. And this is how we're going to teach people. And if you don't fit into that box, we, you're, there's something wrong. We say there's some, you're, you have a learning difference or learning disability. But the interesting thing is most people don't fit in the box. Right. Now the box is wide enough that it holds a good amount of people, but we're also not, a lot of people don't get tested. A lot of people would have no idea, right? The only reason in the eighties that we would find this out is my mom was super involved. My mom also became around that time, like a marriage and family therapist. So she was like highly aware of these kinds of things. So I guarantee there were other kids in my class that had challenges that nobody even knew about because nobody was paying attention. We just wrote them off as like, oh, they're not that smart. They're not applying themselves. Yeah. You know, my mom knew because she got me tested for she was like, oh, he, his IQ is above average. So if his IQ is above average and his eyes now work the way they're supposed to, what's going on here? Wow. And, the, and the way that I have come to understand it is like, our brains are like a computer essentially, right? But a computer way more powerful than anything we've ever been able to produce as humans. And the way that the synapses fire in the brain, like the way it's working is different for everybody. And now we create a box because we have to, we kind of say we have to, right? We got to have some general things. But we're making it all up. We're like, oh, I guess most people are like this. So that's what it's going to be. But you might not fit in it. I might not fit in it. I also think that one of the things I've learned that's helped me read is finding the kind of reading that I want to read. So I don't like I don't read fiction ever. It's like I can't I read I, I read a fiction book and fiction is written like so you would read it and then the picture goes into your mind, right? It's like the rolling hills and the blue, whatever, the blue sky. I just don't, that's not how my mind works. Yeah. So when, when I read fiction, I just see a bunch of words and I'm like, this is boring. It doesn't almost matter what it is. But, but when I read things that are factual, like history or personal development, personal growth, books that teach us things like a book on like how to invest in real estate or something, my mind can like grab on to the facts and the, the information. And all of a sudden, and I didn't know this though, right? Because when you're in school, they don't have you read. Nobody's like handing you a Tony Robbins book when you're in high school. Yeah. So why would you ever read it? When I started reading stuff like that, all of a sudden I realized, wait, I'm like remembering what I'm reading and I'm reading it really fast. And then I learned this thing that our brains also have this ability to, our brains have to prioritize what information is important and what isn't, right? Because yeah. there's so much information. So if, let's say for a year, all you do is read personal development books. And then in the middle of the second year, you pick up a book about bluebirds. Your brain goes, wait a minute, Lance Sprake reads all this about personal development. Bluebirds, he doesn't need this. This is like superfluous. Mm -hmm. So it like takes that information and kind of puts it off to the side. Because it goes, the, he doesn't need this information. And then you're like, why can't I remember what's in that book about bluebirds? So we can actually train our brains to remember what they want. Because I bet when you were a kid, I mean, you're, you, you brought up hockey already. There's probably stuff about hockey when you were a kid that you like knew all the stats, all the numbers, all the info. Yeah. I knew everything about baseball. I knew every player in, in the NFL and the NBA. I knew their stat lines. I knew like records. I knew odds. And my yeah. parents were like, how could this kid know all this, but he can't remember yeah. one thing out of one book? Yeah, man, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. And, and how we can remember certain things. Like, I mean, I can remember exactly where I was, who I was with. If I hear a song or something, it brings me back to mm -hmm. it's a little bit different, but it, it just shows the capabilities of our brains, right? The memory yeah. 
what you retain and what you don't, how music can bring you back to like a specific moment in your life. And you can all of a sudden remember something that you would have never been able to remember. And I always wondered, well, how is that? How can you do that in things that you actually need to learn? Right? Like, how can we recall things? I mean, I would love to be able to just read a book like speed reading. I just can't do it, man. I've tried. I, I, I don't know. Like, I want to be able to read books. But sometimes for me, it's like, it's, you're right. Some books I retain information and I'm like, how did I remember that? But then someone I'll read and I don't. And it, it, it fascinates me. One of the things I started doing was when I started reading, like it was a commitment. I was like, I, when I had that breakdown and I, I, I was in Costa Rica and I said to my girlfriend at the time, I'm doing, I got to do everything different. Cause like the way I'm living isn't working. I canceled my cable and I was like, I'm gonna start reading books instead of spending all this time watching TV and sports. And the first thing I did was I would go on like Apple books and I would download the samples. They would give you of books, which is like 15, 20 pages, right? Mm -hmm. So it didn't cost me anything. And I could read those first 15 or 20 pages. And if I wasn't hooked by the end of those 15 or 20 pages, let's try the next one. And what I started to see was what I liked to read and what I didn't really quickly. I didn't have to waste. Yeah. How long does it take to read 15 pages, right? Yeah. Not that long. I didn't have to waste like hours getting to page 50 or something or a hundred and then decide, I mean, I hate this book. It's like I, on a subway ride, I was living in New York city at the time. On, on one subway ride, I could get through the, those, that sample of like two or three books and then be like, I'm not going to download any of these. I'm going to, let's yeah. try another two or three. Yeah. And then I started to find what I would do is like, I'd find people that I liked. So I'd read like all the books by a certain author. And then I'd go, well, who in that book, does that author talk about anybody that, so it's like, I went, I remember one of the, I read like Og Mandingo and then I went to like, it was like Simon Sinek and Bob Proctor and like somehow they, the, the authors were leading me to other authors and, but it was done in that. And I, I didn't consciously, I'm, in hindsight, I can tell you, like I did this all like, like it's all smart of me, but I think I just got lucky. It was like, oh, I don't want to pay for all these books. Let's until I find one I like, I'll do this. So, and then, and then it gets easier like anything else. Right. You know, I, I remember about book 25, all of a sudden it was like, my ability to read, the speed in which I could read, and the, the ability to pull back the information became easier and easier. That right there, what I just did, is actually really cool. So one of the learning disabilities I was diagnosed with was an inability to pull back information that I have. So that I've had this explained to me a few times, which is really cool. The way my brain works is things will be stored. Like I know something, like memory recall. That's the word I was looking for. So I know what recall is, memory recall. It's in like some, you know, like metaphorical file cabinet in my brain. But when I need the word and I need to say it, it's like my brain can't access the information. It's like I got a bad Google. It can't find the file that I need. And then it'll come back later. And so one of the things which is really cool, though, because the, the good consequence of this is I learned how to talk around instead of just being like, I don't know what that word is and just getting stuck and stopping. Yes. I learned how to communicate in a bunch of different ways to get my point across. Yeah. And as I got older, I started making fun of it. I, I joke all the time. I'll be like, oh, man, what's that thing called? We drink out of it. It's like we put water in it. And you'll be like, a cup? And I'll be like, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, but it's like, that's just my brain. That's how my brain works. You know, that's, I, I think everybody has their own unique thing that they've learned to live with. Mm -hmm. And this is a whole other conversation, but not, I don't think everybody's brain, of course it doesn't work the same. I feel like everyone has had to adapt, mm -hmm. but if we could all see how each other think, we could be like, Oh wow. You, how do you think you think like that? That's how that happens for you too. 
or just how people deal with it and process these things in their brain. And man, I, I don't know, you just learn to adapt through school. You know, and you, you see how some of these kids can just like memorize things, but then maybe they struggle. Well, not maybe, a lot of them do in social situations where they can't speak, they can't articulate, but they're really good on doing tests, yeah. you know? And that's a whole other thing that they've had to learn how to get through and, and navigate through, right? So Yeah, there's no right way. I mean, it's like, you know, I became really good at like the social thing because smart wasn't my thing. Yeah. It, but the thing is smart wasn't not my thing either. That was made up. Yeah. I'm totally smart. I just learn different. And, I, and it's like, we have to know what our strengths are, right? My strength isn't editing books and doing like, like grammar is not my strength creativity is my strength and like my editor her we we joke we're a really good team because i'm really good at starting and i'm really good at crafting like the the foundation and building the creative project and she's a badass finisher she's like the closer who like can take the thing that i give her and go okay where's the gold in this how do i brush it up clean it off and make it look pretty yeah that's important you know to focus on your strengths and have that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, I love it. Where's the best place? Tell us where about your coaching, where we can find you and all that good stuff. So you can basically find everything at thedreammason.com. That from thedreammason.com, you can find the podcast, you can find the book, you can get to my Instagram. All those things are available there. But yeah, that's, that's definitely the best way. Explain what Dream Mason means for those of us that don't yeah. know. Yeah. So I made it up. <laughs> so it, uh, it's a made up word. But when I got in, when I left the restaurant and hospitality business, I got into coaching saying you were a life coach to me sounded like a crock of shit. Yeah. Like what, yeah. what is that? Like, what does that even mean? Who won the championship of life? How yeah. do you get to be the coach of it? Yeah. And business coaching to me sounded just like boring and like lame. And I was really like, what's authentic to me? And I started thinking about like all of us that have a dream. Like everybody has a dream, but most of us have put our dreams aside. We've stomped them. Society stomped them out. Our friends have stomped them out, our family, whatever. And a dream Mason is somebody that is, is willing and brave enough to like, to say boldly, like they have a dream and this is what it is. And it's something that might even seem impossible and crazy. And the Mason part is like, you got to go fucking build it. Like you, not only do you have to build the actual dream, you might have to carve some greatness out of yourself to be the person to achieve the, be the person that can achieve that dream. Love it, man. That's awesome. Very Thanks. unique. Thanks man. So one last question before yeah. we wrap up, brother, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? I, th- I think that all of the adversity that I've faced has given me strengths that I wouldn't have if it weren't for that adversity. Now I wouldn't necessarily want the adversity, but the thing is we don't get to choose. So I think if you, if you're facing adversity and you're not seeing the gold in it, it's like, you got to dig or look a little harder because it might suck, but there's some greatness on the other side of that. Love it, man. Awesome, bro. That was a fast hour that just flew by. Thanks, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. That was, that was great. I really appreciate having you on. And yeah, it's your message is great. I'm going to dive into your book. Hopefully it won't take me uh, six months to read. But I, I I'm going to have the audio book out real soon. We were just oh, actually, sick. we were working on it in the studio right before we hopped on here. Are you doing the actual audio? Yeah, I am doing it. Cool. If you ever write a book and you want somebody to do the audio, it's like so much fun. I'm all about it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Fictional authenticity, you guys, make sure you check it out. Check out Alex on all the social media. So it's all under Dream Mason. The, right? the, the DreamMason.com. Yeah. Perfect. We'll have all that in the show notes. All right, man. Thanks very much. Appreciate you, dude. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Alex Terranova. 
you just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.